This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Let's go there. With Shira and Ryan. Entertainment. Music. Pop culture. LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Starts now. Happy Friday. What up, what up, everybody? OMG, we made it. I mean, did we make it? Uh, yes, maybe. <laughs> you took a really big pause. Are you sure it we made it? It was a dramatic pause. Maybe, what is it called? Maybe a we didn't make pregnant it. pregnant pause. Why do they call it a pregnant pause? It is strange. I, I mean, you've been in the business forever. Because it's a break. It's a pause. But why pregnant? I always wonder how we come up with these things, by the way. Who came up with it? I don't know. I don't know. But I do have good news. Okay, bring it on. <gasps> Guess who finally got their stimulus check? Burr, 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 burr. You. Well, duh, if I'm making the news. <laughs> <laughs> duh. No, I think I was like one of the last few, it feels like, that didn't get theirs. It took forever. Because, you know, it didn't just do the direct deposit. They sent me a debit card situation. I still don't have it on me. It's in my, um. it's at my place of residency. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, don't the, say what that residency is. Well, you already told everybody no, where I, I live. Not. You told everybody in my neighborhood what the address. If you missed it, maybe you should go to um, Odyssey, the Odyssey app, and you can download um, You can download it and uh, search Let's Go There, and you can listen to all our podcasts. Yeah, there you go. Good podcast plug. Yeah, you know, I always know how to do a good segue. So what are you going to do with your money? <gasps> okay, so this is the thing. When you get this money, it, it goes to bills, to be quite yeah. honest. It goes to like me, like, one, I think I'm going to buy a new bed cover. Like, I, I am going to buy a new bed. I'm going to buy some decorative things for my apartment, but I'm also going to pay bills with it. So, and it's in my pocket, and then it's literally to yeah. capitalism. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, congratulations, Ryan. I'm happy for you. No, seriously. And we also got new music beds, which y'all don't we all understand that, but I'm just excited. There'll be a more of a plethora of music that's going to be playing. In, to titillate in your ears. Yes. I like that word of the day. Pregnant pauses and titillating. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, coming up on the show today, it's the fifth day of the trial against Derek Chauvin. And we have a reporter on the ground there in the trial who's going to be joining us in 30 minutes. And she is incredible. She joins us earlier this week. And you'll want to stick around for that. Yeah, I think Shira has like a, a journalist reporter crush I on her. I do have a uh, girl crush on her. I mean, yeah, she is a woman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
professional crust. There we go. A professional. Yes. That's why I said it was a reporter journalist crust. And actor Daniel Franzese is joining us also. You know, he made news last week because he was fired uh, from a performance at a Catholic school for being gay. Which is, I mean, because he's a comedian. He goes to different universities, different schools to just do his act, of course. Um, but I just want to know why he chose a Catholic school. Yeah, that will, we'll be asking him that. Right? I mean, because I, he, he probably likes to perform anywhere he'll be get paid. Checks. Yes, exactly. as long as the check clears. So he's joining us at 3.35 p.m. Pacific, 6.35 p.m. Eastern. Right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour, though. More than 171,000 migrants were taken into custody along the U.S. southern border in March. That's the highest monthly total since 2006, according to the U.S. Customs and Border Protection data. And that was also reviewed by The Washington Post. Uh, the extraordinary increase is up from over 78,000 in January, and it really shows the magnitude of the challenge that the Biden administration faces, especially as it, it's trying to add these emergency shelters because there's an unprecedented number of teenagers and children crossing the border without parents. Uh, I'm not sure if we have this clip from Senator Joe Minkin Man, uh, out there. We're going to be... We're going to be playing that right now because he's spoken out about this. Of course, Ted Cruz is speaking out about it. A lot of the Republicans on different news networks, they're using it against the Biden administration right now, showing that they can't handle what's happening. Uh, but here is Democratic Senator Joe Manken. I'm not blaming the crisis on the present administration of President Biden, the former administration of President Trump. This has been a human crisis for a long, long time. I remember back in the 80s, Ronald Reagan talking about how he was going to take care of immigration. Let me just say, when I call this a crisis, I'm not blaming the crisis on the present administration of President Biden, the former administration of President Trump. Um, so, of course, a lot of Republicans are speaking out about this. Not as many uh, Democrats. They're blaming it on Trump and, and then also saying that this has been an issue for a while. And then maybe finally it's reached the level where we're facing it uh, full force. But it's really unfortunate to watch. I don't know if you've seen, Ryan, there was a clip uh, that they found of two like toddlers being thrown over the w- border wall. It was just horrifying uh and so definitely it's a it's a crisis that's happening right now and i really hope we can deal with this finally but that was what's trending this hour what's happening in entertainment news ryan oh my god so i was fooled we were all fooled by this april fool's joke i'm honestly so upset no 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 no. don't you reveal it because you you revealed a good one yesterday don't you do it again i'm not doing it again but this is big it's time for the this tea report. This is not fair. It's time for the tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So two days after sending fans into a tailspin by claiming he closed his gap in his front teeth, Michael Strahan has confirmed it was all one epic April Fool's joke. Here is him explaining himself. I cannot believe him. And uh, a lot of people out there would always say, yeah, you make me feel good about rocking mine and everything else. And I know the shocker to see it gone, but I just want to tell you guys that, um, you know, I appreciate all that love that you show and, and be you, live the way you want to live, do what makes you happy because I did. And I am happy um, that, that I did it. So I just wanted to say, um, April Fools. Come on, man. 
the gap is here to stay for a little while. Not going anywhere anytime soon. So. You know what? I thought Michael Strahan was going to be my husband in the future, but now I have trust issues. And I will never, ever trust him again, even though I'm happy he didn't close it, to be quite honest. Because secretly, I know I said over the air that I, I'm happy he's doing it for himself and he's making the best moves. But screw that. Yeah, the, he, the gap should stay. It was very believable. Yeah, it was. It really was. If you want to see the whole video of him announcing it and just you seeing the moment he led up to it, it was absolutely hilarious. Head over to WeAreChannelQ.com. Of course, keep us followed at LGT Show. You'll hear me saying our socials. That means follow it. And of course, I got more T-Report coming up next hour. Now, uh, next up on the show, we've got breaking news from the Capitol today as one police officer has been killed. Those details and what you need to know next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A Capitol Police officer was killed today after a man rammed a car into two officers at a barricade outside the U.S. Capitol and then emerged wielding a knife. The suspect involved in the incident has also died, according to police. And acting U.S. Capitol Police Chief Yogananda Pittman shared this at a press conference today. At this time, uh, the suspect has been pronounced uh, deceased. Two U.S. Capitol Police officers were transported to two different hospitals, and it is with a very, very heavy heart that I announce one of our officers has succumbed to his injuries. Joining us uh, again is Richard Fowler, Fox News contributor. Uh, thanks for being here, and this was pretty surprising when this all happened today. Uh, absolutely, Sharon Ryan. I mean, it was definitely a surprising event given the backdrop. I mean, this will always be a surprising event at the Capitol because it's known as being one of the world's safest buildings. But after the January 6th insurrection, um, I think it definitely sort of relit the fear and the anger that people have around what happened on January 6th. And I know all this story is still, um, and we're still trying to get more details of what motivated this person to do this. How the other officer is doing, because there are two officers involved, this story is still developing, but it's definitely a sad day for the United States Capitol, as well as the U.S. Capitol Police, who have now lost almost three officers, um, two officers from, from being involved in the incident and two officers via suicide over the past couple of months. And this is a, a, a police force that has actually been, you know, they've been a very lively police force and they haven't had any types of incidents like this and to have so many incidents in a short period of time it's definitely sad yeah i i think because we've seen so much violence as the world's kind of opening back up it feels like and honestly someone who i'm i don't feel like i even want to leave my house at this point but do you think this is now going to put this blanket of worry on uh, america at this point that as we're opening back up we're going to kind of concede a lot of these things from gun violence to now this happening what do you what are your thoughts about that I mean, I think that's a really good point, Ryan. And I think you know we're in a we sort of we're in a we're in an interesting period in the in the United States of America. Not only are we trying to beat back COVID nineteen and all the inequities that it's laid bare, but we're also trying to deal with the fact that America's still divided, um, and these divisions have led to you know many of these incidents. And I think what makes this particular incident so interesting is that the 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 person who was involved. Um, he did not use a gun. He used a knife instead, which is a very interesting thing because we know how easy it is to get a gun in the United States of America. Yeah, 
and do we know anything about uh, the person who did this? I know they're saying that it's not an act of terrorism, according to law enforcement officers or officials. Yeah, so we know that this is not an act of terrorism, but the story is still developing. And as a result, we don't have much details. We don't understand. We don't know the motive of the killer. We don't know the um, we don't know the impact of the attack. Um, and so we're still trying to figure that out. Okay, well, uh, thanks again for joining us today and for being here for this breaking story. Thank you very much, and we'll continue to develop, update as we develop more. Definitely. That was Richard Fowler, Fox News contributor. Coming up on the show, it was the first week of the Derek Chauvin trial for the murder of George Floyd. What we learned, uh, and we've got an, a reporter actually from our sister station out there in Minneapolis who's at the trial right now who's going to join us to recap everything and what the takeaways were were and where we're going to land on this that's next era and ryan channel q it's the fifth day of the testimonies in the murder trial of former minneapolis police officer um derek chauvin and that was today of course for the murder of george floyd and back with us is sloan martin wcco radio reporter in minneapolis who's been covering this trial on the ground there thanks again for joining us Yeah, thanks for having me on again. So what were the biggest takeaways uh, from today? Today was really interesting. It was only a half day, but I feel like jurors are going home over this holiday weekend with a lot to think about. Now, this is not an expert witness, but they did hear from a Minneapolis police lieutenant who is the number one police officer in terms of seniority in the entire department. He has been with MPD since 1985. He's the leader of the homicide unit. And he said that what he saw on the police body camera video, that use of force against Floyd, was totally unnecessary and uncalled for. And that was really strong testimony to hear from someone who was such a senior member of the Minneapolis Police Department. He testified that um, that a person who's handcuffed with their hands behind their back in the prone position, so on their ground, or excuse me, on their front, on the ground, mm-hmm. can have their breathing restricted. He said the safety and well-being of a person who is handcuffed becomes the responsibility of the police officer and that the crowd did not pose any kind of danger and that waiting for EMS service is not an excuse to not step in and render aid to someone who is in their custody. So this is a person who has a lot of experience and and had some uh, very forthright testimony today. You know what I always find interesting, especially now that the jury has a weekend uh, to kind of think about everything that they've heard this week and how do they go over the weekend and not kind of watch the news and see the coverage and that kind of impact their decision making in this process? Well, that's certainly the difficult part. And I think when we went through jury selection, um, really all the jurors knew how just the gravity of this case, how serious it is, how serious their decision for a verdict is and how that decision affects so many people and really our entire city and, and even larger what that decision means. So I think the jurors really understood the gravity of that. They are able to tell at least their immediate family about what they're up to at this time but you would think that there would be a concerted effort to be unfollowing any people on social media that are spreading news to not have conversations with people and and really avoid that at all because obviously you can't be you know broadcasting that you are uh, a member of the jury on this trial but you're right it certainly is an extended amount of time away from court kind of back to their regular lives where you think that might happen but i think in this case the jurors really gave off uh an indication 
conclusion that they understood how serious this trial is. What do we know about the jury? Well, the jury is 14 people, 12 plus two alternates. Six people are people of color, which exceeds not only the um, the diversity in Hennepin County, but also um, in the city of Minneapolis, which is about 64 percent white. So the 12 people who will eventually be deliberating and deciding on a verdict, the 12 of them have are people of color and they range from different ages from 20s all the way up to 60s and we've seen uh, from pool reporting of course the jury is not shown on any live streams they're kept completely anonymous their names and their faces but we often see in the pool reporting from the the reporters that are inside the courtroom that they are taking copious notes which they leave at court every night they're not supposed to go home and and go over things and, and really think and reflect about them till they come back the next day but from the reports that I've seen, they have been taking um, a lot of notes, paying a lot of attention. They've seen a lot of video and they've heard a lot of testimony so far. Yeah. And as this first week of testimonies, you know, obviously comes to an end. What what, what should we be expecting uh, for next week? Anything big? Well- Well, this was a really impactful week in terms of the emotion. So we heard from multiple bystanders through the first three plus days. There was maybe one or two witnesses that were not at least tearing up or even one person breaking down on the stand. So there was a lot of emotional testimony, a lot of really strong testimony for the state, including two in the Minneapolis Police Department saying that the restraint should have been released because Floyd was handcuffed and on the ground and not resisting officers or being combative. So a lot going on for the state. I expect in the next week, first of all, we are waiting for when the Minneapolis police chief, Medaria Arredondo, is going to be testifying for the state. And for people who follow legal matters, that might seem kind of strange that a Minneapolis police officer, when, uh, excuse me, a police chief, when an officer is the defendant, is actually testifying for the state but we're going to hear more about Minneapolis police of uh, police use of force policy. And we expect there to be quite a bit more of medical testimony. I think we're really going to dive into a lot of um, a lot of specifics when it comes to this cause of death, which is really what is being uh, the point of contention in this case. What argument is the defense using at this point? The defense continues to go to this particular well very often. And what it comes down to, and this is kind of the overall arching umbrella of what was the cause of death. And for the defense, it is coming down to the influence of drugs. We heard from uh, testimony from Floyd's girlfriend of three years and how both of them had struggled with opioid addictions during their relationship. And then the other part is that the crowd was in the words of Eric Nelson, an unruly mob, and that their presence and their threatening presence prevented officers and diverted their attention from rendering aid to Floyd. So kind of blaming those two different aspects in terms of this cause of death and how it happened. Now, the prosecution has pushed back against both of those, and we'll hear more about this, like I said, next week Mm -hmm. when we get to more of that medical testimony and we hear about... um, Uh, asphyxiation, for example, um, in this case, but particularly when it comes to the crowd. I mean, there was a young girl as young as nine years old. There were three teenage girls there, a man who was in his 60s. They stayed on the curb. And yes, they were quite threatening with their words, but the prosecution has pushed back against that. Well, thank you so much for your coverage and for joining us. And we hope to have you on again next week. 
Thank you. That was Sloan Martin, WCCO radio reporter in Minneapolis. Uh, coming up, you know, we tell you to DM us all the time at LGT Show. We'll be responding to some of those juicy messages next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are always reminding you to hit us up to let us know your questions or comments at LGT Show on social media. And earlier this week, we covered a story. And well, we got a DM from someone that we want to talk about today. Uh, first, just some context. So we were talking about the story of how uh, this woman, Andrea Lessing, made an incredible discovery while going through donations at the Goodwill in Norman, Oklahoma. She found $42,000 in bills wrapped inside two sweaters. Don't know why that happened, but she found them. Ended up notifying her employer. who They found the person who ended up giving her $1,000. But... We talked about how, you know, and asked you whether you would have done that. And Ryan was not into it. Ryan was, uh, you know, wanting to do the evil thing and keep the money to himself. Yeah. I mean, why would I not? I mean, to be quite honest, I think I made the right decision um, when I said that. Because did you read the... the, the no, okay. you can read the, the DM. So this is coming from, I'm, I don't know if they want me to put their Instagram out there. Um, first of all... Let's talk about it. Africa Jack. Um, and he is not African. Uh, maybe he is. I don't he know. He could be. There, he could be. Maybe. I don't know. But he has a giraffe in his uh, profile piece. Hello. Cute. Hello, Africa Jack. We appreciate you for tuning in and letting us know. He said, Ryan, you are wrong. That money, if she hadn't turned it in, would have gone to the company, not at her pocket. Think about it. Admit you're wrong. This type of thinking is exactly what's wrong, wrong with society. So here's the thing, Africa Jack, you're wrong because I saw someone else on Twitter talk about this same story and had the same exact uh, idea. I'm going to read a tweet. What, what? Someone said, no, they were talking, they had the same oh, idea yeah. as me, what I what I said. Uh-huh. Um, someone tweeted saying, some people just don't get the message from God. He put it there and said, you need it more than they do. Keep oh. it. So now it's a message from God. That's what I'm saying. Someone else said, I would want to keep it, but I'd be scared the original owner come looking for it, which is, I understand that as well. Or you get, um, like, embroiled in some sort of scandal. Like, that's the beginning of a that's, crazy that's movie. That's a whole other thing. Someone else said, it would have been my goodwill to find that and keep, keep it. Which goodwill. Play on one for goodwill. 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 Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I just think... I, if something like that happens to you, that is a sign from destiny. I don't think it has to do with society. Or a test. Yeah, I don't think it has to do with any of that at this moment. I think sometimes blessings happen to people. And yes, she, quote unquote, was a good person. But I just think those moments be happening to the wrong people. And I need that to be happening to me. And it doesn't mean that I'm a bad person because I think that way. I want it to happen to you so I could see the, the, what happens on the other side of that. I mean... You wouldn't know because I wouldn't say a damn thing about it. <laughs> and not even share. So you're saying that out of nowhere, you're not going to be like, sure, I'll take you out for dinner this maybe, weekend. Maybe, yeah, maybe. But you I, actually, Shira, she, I've got to say this as we wrap up. Shira told, uh, she took me to my, like, one of my first really nice restaurants out here. Oh my God, Nobu. I'm done with this. And um, I 
would do the same thing. As soon as I, that's gonna be my first thing. I, I always already planned. I said once I make like a, a ton of money, I'm treating the people who have done the same thing to me. I, so I'm not I even would making a ton of money, and I, I take yeah. you out. So I would do that for sure. But thank it. you so much, everyone who's always tuning in. Uh, shout out to Africa Jack. Let me know if you are from Africa, because if you're not, then we got some talks to talk about. And uh, hit us up at LGT Show so we can put your DM on blast. Uh, coming up on the show, we've got updates on Virginia's LGBTQ plus panic defense. More details on that next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Welcome back to the show. Uh, coming up, why Johnson & Johnson throwing out 15 million COVID-19 vaccine doses shouldn't scare you. I don't know. It kind of alarms me. Yeah, that's why we're going to be uh, helping you out. Mm-hmm. And actor Daniel Franzese joins us for an exclusive conversation on the moment he was fired for being gay. That's in 30 minutes. Excited to have him back on. I know. We haven't caught up with him in a while. And seeing this news, is just like, I hope he's doing fine. Definitely. Because in the middle of a pandemic, that happening, that's pretty stressful. Yeah, it's a lot to process. Yeah. Uh, but that is coming up. So uh, first, though, let's get into some what's turning this out. All right, let's do it. Georgia State Representative Park Cannon, who was arrested for knocking on Governor Brian Kemp's office door while he signed that new voting re- restriction bill into law in uh, Georgia, of course. She's now appearing on a lot of news networks, including MSNBC with Joy Reid. Here's what she had to share. But at every level of Senate Bill 202's passage, people were cut out of the process. Even state legislators who were on the committee were unable to have their amendments read. They were not given fiscal notes. And measures are right now from independent reports saying that this bill will cost over $50 million to implement in the next few months. And uh, let's move on to Virginia, who's it's uh, they become the 12th U.S. state with a law against the LGBTQ plus panic defense in criminal trials. This is an early Yaz Queen. Governor Ralph Northam signed a bill into law this week banning the use of the defense in trials for murder or voluntary manslaughter. Defenses like that have been used in court for years, although more rarely recently, in efforts to justify crimes against LGBTQ plus people. The argument being that the revelation of the victim's identity or sexual ad- advance from the victim drove the defendant to violence. So good on Virginia for finally making this move. And that was What's Trending This Hour, What's Happening in Entertainment News, Ryan. Well, super quickly before we get into that, uh, I'm watching CNN and mm-hmm. there's kind of a more news about the Capitol attack that's yes. happened. And uh, they say a suspect in Capitol attack posted about fears of FBI and CIA. So that may have been uh, a cause of why he did what he did, um, which, you know, a lot of the QAnoners, MAGAs, all those people kind of have have that same fear. So I wanted to make sure we kind of drop that in there as a part of this developing story. Yes, and NewYorkPost.com, I know we had Richard on, but uh, and he said that we didn't know a lot about the person. NYPost.com is saying that uh, Noah Green, um, who is the person who did this, he had been living in Virginia. He describes himself as a follower of Farrakhan on his Facebook page, a oh. reference to Nation of Islam leader, Louis Farrakhan. And so that's also trending right now on Twitter. Uh, but we'll be bringing you more updates throughout the show. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so one of my favorite shows just made a huge change, and I am grieving. I am grieving. Please okay. give me a moment. It is time for your tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So t- season two of the racy historical drama, <sighs> Bridgerton. 
Bridgerton made a huge change. Reggae John Page, who played Simon Bassett, the Duke of Hastings, in season one of the Netflix drama, the hot guy, the one that we all lust over his sweaty chest. The gray, the Christian gray of Bridgerton. I mean, was he though? Because he he was one. He 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 had a real rabbit like stroke, you know. It was very. Oh my god! This. Please don't make that noise. It was please. very that, and so it it kind of lost the appeal to me. But he's still fine. Well, he is not returning to the show. Um, they made the news. Lady Whistle Down. Lady Whistle Down. If you watch the show, she's the kind of gossip girl of the show. The one that kind of reports on the news. Um, if you're heartbroken though over that news, he actually said in an interview with Variety that this role was never meant to last. Actually, um, he said this. He said it's a season uh, one arc. It's like a one season arc. It's going to have a okay. beginning, middle, and end. Give us a year. He said, I thought that it's interesting because then it felt like a limited series. I get to come in, I get to contribute my bit, and then the Bridgerton family rolls on. Mm. So, the book, yeah. here's actually the interesting thing, yeah. though. If you are a fan of the books, which that's what the show is based off of, the book is actually, and um, what is those kind of series where, like, they're different, anal- an- analogs? Not analog. They're like, there's where every season's a different story. Oh, yeah. That, so it's kind of like, um, what's the show that Ryan Murphy does? American yes, 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 right like that. And so really, to be honest, the books, they look at only one character a book. Okay, so this is true. Dives. I thought, in my before knowing that, I thought he left because he got a job somewhere else because now people are talking that he's going to be the new James Bond. And well, everything. he does, he has booked up a lot of stuff, which I'm very, very excited for him. But I did initially think before I, I knew more about the books, I I was like, I hope you don't think your fame is going to carry you this long because just because you did SNL one time don't mean that you could just and leave your hit show like he's that. He's hot, but he wasn't that amazing on SNL. Ooh, no shade. Um, but no, here's the thing. The show does have a bunch of new characters coming on, so we'll just have to stay tuned. I'm, I'm still going to be watching. Are you going to be watching? Let us know at LGT Show Everywhere, of course, on social meds, and uh, let's keep the conversation going. That's your T-Report. Now, uh, coming up on the show, we explain what actually happened with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine that everyone talked about uh, this week. It made headlines. That's next. I'm going to figure out that word I was trying to say. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Johnson & Johnson had to throw out 15 million doses of its COVID-19 vaccine. That was enough to vaccinate 7% of the U.S. adult population. Quite the mess up. I mean, human error. So what happened? Ting Long Dai joins us, an associate professor of operations management and business analytics at the Johns Hopkins Carey Business School. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So, yeah, what went down? I mean, so it was just human error? Well, it's actually, as time goes by, we're actually less clear about exactly what happened. And the initial report was human error. We talked about a mix-up. Then Washington Post reported the mix-up of two kind of vaccines from AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson. But yesterday, the CEO of Emergent Biosolutions, they went to CNBC. They're saying that the mix-up didn't happen. It's just some sort of out-of-spec error. So it, it actually got less clear over time. We do not get really transparent uh, con- into the process. Uh, but apparently something went wrong and they have to throw away an entire batch, which is 15 million doses of Johnson Johnson vaccine. So what do you think that does for people, are two people who are uh, vaccine hesitant? 
Well, I, I think, you know, this certainly is not a good development uh, for people who are vaccine hesitant because you won't have absolute trust uh, in the quality of the vaccines. Uh, I think we should still be very, very confident uh, about the quality because we do have really robust quality control systems. It's just that if the... Um, if this company and uh, they're not being transparent, not being upfront about what exactly happened back in February on the second floor, some people may uh, use that to infer and draw the wrong conclusion. Some people may have a second thoughts about whether to get a Johnson Johnson vaccine or getting Moderna or Pfizer. Some people may even draw the conclusion that none of the vaccines is, is safe. So I think this is not good development. And uh, so we should, we should take strong steps to uh, make sure the trust in vaccines is there. Yeah, and so, I mean, at that point, like, how much money is that? Like, they've lost a lot of money. Are they just going to remake these vaccines? They have to cut their losses? Oh, well, they are, because apparently uh, uh, these emergent biosolutions, they talk about uh, they can produce 1 billion doses of a Johnson, Johnson Johnson vaccine a year. So that's a lot of capacity. Yeah. So they can easily, uh, I just think I have every confidence that they can deliver 100 million doses by end of May. So they are going to catch up. They will be able to deliver vaccines on schedule. So uh, uh, as with Johnson Johnson, I believe the supply will be on schedule. My concern is that the demand will be on schedule, right? So the demand for Johnson Johnson vaccine. Oh, yeah. And uh, you want to make sure that we have a vaccine doses shifted to different states. People are willing, people are eager to get Johnson Johnson vaccine just as they are for Pfizer right. and Moderna vaccine. Yeah, so how do we kind of improve that manufacturing uh, process? Because it does seem like there's a lot of flaws in it right now. And if we're going to do this in such a mass capacity, there needs to be improvements quickly. Well, this is actually a very classical manufacturing problem. Uh, you want to uh, improve the process make sure errors do not happen in the first place. So we have no doubt, eventually, whatever vaccine is coming out from Johnson Johnson will be high quality, will be safe, because of robust quality checks. But the process itself could have been improved to ensure we don't have mistakes and errors to happen in the first place. So this is, you have this classical Toyota production system techniques, and there are many, many techniques there, but one of them is called asking why five times. We really need to get to the bottom of the things. Ask Johnson Johnson, ask Emerging Biosolutions, whoever is involved, what exactly happened on the factory floor back in February on that day? Yeah. Do we still have the issues? If we do not know what happened, which we don't, by the way, uh, we wouldn't be able to get the transparency in the process, then we cannot fix the problem. Uh, uh, so I think uh, understanding what happened and uh, it's very important. That's why you have to ask the five. That's why you have to ask why five times. Because uh, right now, their attitude is more like a corporate speak, providing standard prepared answers. I don't think that's enough. We need to be more transparent, more upfront about what exactly happened. I totally agree. Ting Long Dai, uh, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Ting Long Dai is an associate professor at the Johns Hopkins Carey Business School. Uh, thanks again. Coming up on the show, actor Daniel Franzese is joining us to share why he was fired from a recent gig for being gay. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q.
Our next guest we've had on the show before, in studio, during the pandemic. Well, now he made news because of being fired from a gig because he's gay. Please welcome back to Let's Go There Comedian and the star, of course, of movies we love and shows, Mean Girls and Looking, Daniel Franzese. Welcome back to Let's Go There. Hello. It's great to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Hey! We're, we're really happy and excited that you were able to join us, especially, I mean, I know this having this happen to you and you know and which feels like 2021 2020 whenever it happened it still feels like modern day times this is still going on yeah for sure as much as i um may have felt that way the first day like it quickly didn't become about me anymore like Mm, what happened was is once that once i made that video then i started getting tons of letters from wall students uh from former alumni from alumni and former students uh, faculty and former faculty, all who have felt uncomfortable at Walsh and felt that that Walsh University was a toxic environment for an LGBTQ person. And then that's really what I cared about. Missing a gig is one thing. Maybe I was a little upset about that. But when I really started finding out what was at the heart of this matter, um, that's when I really started to uh, try to be vocal about it. Definitely. Well, can you explain what happened exactly? Give uh, folks a little background. Just a little background on it. I was hired uh, since January to work at Walsh University, and then um, everything was finalized in February. And then just a couple of days before I was about to actually perform, which was the host of their uh, Mr. Walsh pageant, like a male beauty pageant kind of thing, Um, the Vatican made a statement saying that they don't... um, support same-sex marriages and that same-sex marriages are a sin, the Pope uh, relayed a message from the Vatican. And this is coming from a Pope who's been very vocal for the LGBTQ community. Uh, earlier in the year, he made a statement uh, saying that LGBTQ people should be loved and no one should ever be kicked out or miserable over being gay. And that was a very hopeful statement coming from uh, the Pope of the Catholic Church. And then so, then to be, follow- be followed up from a message from the Vatican, not he's saying that they wouldn't uh, support same-sex relationships. And then uh, within hours, I was fired from a job where it has nothing to do with my sexuality. I was just being a pageant MC, uh, which gay people are great at. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. you know, um, it became uh, sort of a tit-for-tat where the president wrote a letter about me and then I responded back with a video uh, that I don't really care about me anymore in this situation. Now... What I care about is I've brought, a, I've shined, a, I've shone a light on this very dark side of Christian and Catholic universities. These stories don't get told of these students who are in some of these situations. People who are called, you know, slurs because they had pride flags on their door, or student, or, or faculty members that were just ghosted when they applied for promotions uh, because they were queer, um, and also just like the very non, the the non-existent representation of queer people at all queer life at all on campus uh these students who are going into the schools don't have a safe space if they're not out yet to their families and and they arrive on campus there's no place that says it's okay to be who you are some of these schools are even uh some of these students are even seeing um that if they come out on campus like more than 12 percent of students like like more than one in ten are told that they have to receive counseling or go on a mandated conversion therapy yes. or 
they could even lose their credit at school. What's so crazy? Seeing- yeah. What's crazy is not to interrupt. We actually just had this conversation. Yeah, and we're going to be playing it actually in an, an hour on the show. Yeah. Because there's LGBTQ plus students have come together for a class action lawsuit against the Department of Education. Yes, I'm aware. And see, so this is the same kind of discrimination that we're talking about here. Like. Um, some of these students, are there, they are not allowed to have any communication via school emails that say anything about them being LGBTQ. Um, and they just don't know how to reach out to some of the isolated students that are on campus. The climate is just not healthy. And so you came out about this, which once again, it shows the power of the Pope, right? We say like, oh, it's the Pope and all this. But like that shows a direct result of him speaking out about this and why we need to hold him accountable in many ways. And and something needs to happen. And, you know, a lot of people were upset because it is a private Catholic uh, university and they should be allowed to do whatever they do. The only problem is, is that it's misleading. Their, Their slogan is we're welcoming to all. And they have pictures of what, you know, appear to be queer students sometimes in their brochures and things like that. And, you know, it may, they just seem like everyone's welcome, everyone's welcome, but there's zero representation or protections for LGBTQ kids. I mean, imagine a scenario where two uh, queer people are dating and maybe there's a domestic dispute and somebody's being abused and then the abused person can't come out and say anything for fear of losing their entire college career and tuition. Well, uh, Daniel, I know this was a lot to process, and you even took some time to come on the show to share more about this, but what you're sharing matters, and it's important that something be done. Yeah, we have to because, um, you know, LGBTQ students on on Catholic and Christian colleges face more bullying and harassment. They experience isolation and depression um, and harm straight from their classmates, according to a survey from REAP, which is an organization that advocates for LGBTQ students at taxpayer-funded religious colleges and universities. So it's just important that we realize that these things are happening because they have no power. Um, if they try to speak up, these, are, these people are silenced. I'm a, uh, whatever, a celebrity, a comedian, someone with a loud mouth that they did this to. But what happens when this happens to, like, the janitor even? Like, yeah. or someone that just doesn't have a voice in this situation? Um, we, you know, it, I, it, it's like I said in my second video to the president, it's okay if, you, if you're not LGBTQ friendly, but you need to explicitly write so on your website because clarity is important for mental health and well-being of queer people. Well, people's lives are on the line, and there's no, yeah. there's no needing to sugarcoat anything at this point. We have to be clear and direct, and thank you so much, Daniel, for doing that here on the show. And we uh, always wish you the best and can't wait to see what you're working on next, and always feel free to come back here. Well, thanks so much for having me. Uh, people can catch me tonight on Comedy Central on uh, Hall of Flame 100 Best Roast Moments. I yes. saw that. And follow him at What's Up Danny for all the updates. We appreciate <laughs> you. Have a great night. And that was Daniel Franzese again. Uh, you know, keep on hanging out with us because we've got some more Let's Go There coming at you right after this. Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We've got more details on the Matt Gates teen sex scandal. <laughs> and according to the New York Times, you know, that Department of Justice investigation into Gates involving uh, not just that 17-year-old, but now payments he made to multiple women who were recruited online for sex. And according to all these reports, former tax collector and Gates's buddy, Joel Greenberg, connected Gates with women he met on sex dating websites. So he would coordinate the dates, times, places for their meetups and also use use um, Cash App and Apple Pay 
to pay them for these arrangements. Which, what in the hell? Who thinks using Cash App? Did you want to give them a receipt? Well, yeah. Or an in, like, did they invoice you or something? Leaving a pretty good uh, paper trail for investigators to follow. It was pretty easy to figure it out. I feel like as more of the story kind of develops, it gets more cringy. Like, it gets cringier and cringier. And I, I, I don't know how he can talk his way out of this at this point. Because it's starting to, to kind try of... to. I mean, and it, it, it just feels like it's just showing that what the investigation is saying is very true. Yeah, and this is from the New York Times. They said they've reviewed receipts from Cash App, a mobile payments app, uh, we know that, and Apple Pay that show payments from Mr. Gates and Mr. Greenberg to one of the women, and a payment from Mr. Greenberg to a second woman. The women told their friends the payments were for sex with the two men, (gasps) according to two people. How much was it, do you know? Do we know? No, I don't know that. Man, I would love to know. Um, What's the running rate (laughs) for to to sleep with uh, Matt Gates? I'm not making a joke about it. I just want to know how much he's paid. Because I hope it's worth it because it's honestly disgusting. Like, I'm just hoping that they're paying. 5,000? I don't know. 2,000? I hope it's more than that. Also, more claims. The report uh, that came out said that Gates and the woman often took ecstasy prior to hooking up. That's awful. As he grew more comfortable with his... with stuff. This is from Queerty, by the way, who gets very sassy with how they report things. And I feel like it wasn't appropriate for me to say some of the things they were saying. They started orchestrating an underground prostitution ring of sorts. In some cases, now this is from the New York Times, Mr. Gates asked women to help find others who might be interested in having sex with him and his friends. See, I'm telling you, all of that noise that comes from those conspiracy theories about all these sex rings and Hillary Clinton in the bottom of a pizza shop doing these sex rings and all this stuff, I I think it's projection. Let's be honest. Well, usually you do when you're worried about other people doing things is because you're doing it. Mm. Or you know people that are doing it. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's a weird story. It's a weird story that I really would... I kind of wish that it would stop developing because it's only getting worse. Yeah. Oh, let me add one more thing. CNN reports now. Okay. Gates also showed it off. So he really wasn't hiding this. He showed all these things off to other lawmakers, photos and videos of nude women he said he slept with, according to sources who told this to CNN, including while on the House floor. as we wrap up again, why are they talking that about that on the House floor? Aren't y'all supposed to be making rules and laws and doing something that's supposed to be good for the country and the American people? Thank. Uh, Gates, as, as you mentioned, has denied everything and claims he is the victim of a twenty-five million dollar extortion plot. And uh, that's a little recap of that scandal this week. Coming up on the show, new CDC guidelines about travel for those who are vaccinated. That's next on What's Trending This Hour. Welcome back to the show. Coming up, uh, we're going to be getting into California's strategy or lack thereof to vaccinate the trans community and the class action lawsuit that's been filed by LGBTQ plus students against the Department of Education. We have the lawyer behind that and also one of the students who's going to be sharing their very personal experience at a Catholic university and conversion therapy. Yeah, because it's not just uh, happening to Daniel Franzese. It's happening to queer folks all the time, every single day, no matter if you're a celebrity or not, and it's unfortunate. And Mm -hmm. so I am so happy that they're joining us. Definitely. But let's get into some what's trending this hour right now. Uh, The U.S. economy, good news, created the most jobs in seven months in March as more Americans have gotten vaccinated and the government has been giving out pandemic relief money. Here is President Biden today. Economy 
created 900,000 jobs in March. It means the first two months of our administration has seen more new jobs created than the first two months in any administration in history. But we still have a long way to go to get our economy back on track after the worst economic and job crisis in nearly a century. So that's good news. Uh, let's move on to the CDC. This is also good news. They've released an update to their travel guidance for people who are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. You won't have to do this testing and quarantine recommendations. Fully vaccinated people can travel at low risk to themselves, but travel still isn't recommended at this time because of rising numbers of cases. Uh, the agency said that as long as coronavirus precautions are taken, including mask wearing, fully vaccinated people can travel within the U.S. without getting tested for COVID-19 before or self-quarantining after. Barely say that. For international travel, fully vaccinated people don't need a COVID-19 test prior to travel unless it is required by the destination and don't need a self-quarantine after returning to the U.S. They should still have a negative COVID-19 test before boarding a flight to the U.S. and follow up test three to five days after their return. So this is great news for those who have the travel bug and have been wanting to get out. You hear that? Mm-hmm. That's me booking my next flight. Because honestly, I am so excited about that news. I, I mean, I think we all are. I think we, I just, to be honest, I'm, I don't even know if I'm going to go home or have my mom come out here. But either way, something, it's, I'm just excited. I'm still waiting for Canada. You know, it's, they're still uh, very shut down. You have to quarantine for two weeks if you go there. I get it. I understand. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awful, though. I, I mean, not awful because it's Canada, but... Well, now my family's going to come here probably before I go there. Yeah, that makes more sense. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so I have a question, and I think we need to have a quick conversation about it. Is it weird that Kourtney Kardashian likes to hang out with those popular TikTok kids who are half her age? Um, It's time for the Tea Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. She's a cool mom. So Kourtney Kardashian's son... Uh, Mason revealed that Addison Ray sleeps in his mom's room when the two women who have a 21-year-old age gap have sleepovers. So here's how this all went down. In a sneak peek at the April 8th episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, Kim Kardashian asked Mason where, uh, where the TikTok star basically stays when she's staying the night. Mason confirms and says that, oh yeah, she sleeps with Courtney in her bed. Kim is shocked. Honestly, just like sitting there and like, what? Um, saying in a confessional that Courtney isn't like that with any of her other friends. So I need to know here right now, do we think this friendship is weird or inappropriate? There's something going on here. I feel like they're smart enough that like they're getting in business together or something. And uh, she obviously feels she's living vicariously through this young person. I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that at all. I think Courtney... Um, is just, yeah, like I don't, I don't think yeah. Courtney wants to be old. She doesn't really look old, um, and I think she hangs, you know, surrounds herself with her sisters, her younger sisters, Kylie and Kendall, um, and those other kids who are half her age. And I think it makes her feel hip and cool and young. Oh yeah. Um, but I do find it a little weird when you do have a big mansion that you, the, all the rooms you decide that Addison's going to stay That's in your true. room. That and then it's just strange because Addison was probably like when. When, how old was she when the Kardashians started? Like, she grew up watching that. True. And now she's just hanging And out if you don't know them. who Addison Rae is, if you watch Jimmy Fallon, she was recently on um, his show where she basically taught him some TikTok dances. She's, a one, she's like one of the number one TikTokers 
ever. This year. Yeah, it's wild. You know, every year there's a new big TikToker but to check out. She's huge. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I find it still very weird. It's very weird. Let us know. Keep the conversation going at LGT Show. Um, or if you want to know more and see the full entire clip that I'm talking about, head over to WeAreChannelQ.com. Right now, though, we're going to change the subject because I got to tell y'all a little bit about Odyssey. Because something you may not know is that Channel Q is a part of a bigger company. We are home to the industry's most influential collection of broadcast and digital content, podcasts, and premium live experiences. We provide the news our fans need, the sports they love, the podcasts they crave, and the music they can't live without. Today, this week, something has changed. We're now a part of a new brand called Odyssey. You're going to be hearing a lot more about it in the coming weeks and months. Radio.com is now Odyssey. Do you, you like the name change, right? You like it? I think it's so refreshing. It is. It's nice. It's, you know, it, it's spring cleaning. We did our own spring cleaning. Very, very true. And of course, um, you know, we also have an app. If you had the radio.com app already and you're like, well, can I still use the radio.com app? Well, yeah, you still could because it's automatically changed over to Odyssey. And if you need help spelling it, it's A-U-D-A-C-Y. There you go. That's simple. That's your team report. Love that. Thank you, Ryan. Always hit us up at LGT Show on social media to let us know what you think of our stories that we're covering. But coming up, you know, California rushed to vaccinate many of the uh, uh, poor population here in the city. But what about the trans community? The strategy they didn't look at next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. An opinion piece in the L.A. Times uh, shared California has rushed to vaccinate poor people. But what about transgender people? Writer Erica Smith joins us right now who wrote this. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, what did you learn in writing this story and why was it such an important thing to share with folks? Yeah, sure. So I've been writing, you know, California has had was one of the big people in the second or third or fourth wave. I forget how many ways you had now of COVID. But um, one of the things I've been writing quite a bit about is um, our efforts toward equity, um, just because of our, the dynamics and the demographics of our population. But, you know, one of the things that came up was that there just hasn't been that focus on the LGBTQ community. And so um, I actually had the fortune of being on a panel a couple of weeks ago, and I was this topic came up. And so I knew it really hadn't been covered, at least in California, and I hadn't seen many stories about it. And so I decided to write about it. And I learned, you know, quite a bit. I mean, it's one of those things where you know, the trans community kind of falls in between all of these demographics and buckets that states and counties have been looking at um, in terms of the broader umbrella of equity. I mean, a lot of them have been focused on race. They've been focused on income. They've been focused on ethnicity to an extent, gender. But, you know, being trans, you're just you fall into a specific bucket. So if you if you're even asked when you go to get vaccinated, if you're, you know, your gender, if you're obviously a, a trans man, you're in the man in the male bucket as that data comes out but there's no tracking and so i wanted to just write about those things yeah i think that was so when i I read your article and it it said there was very little data collected it just seems like it's the complete opposite of what public health officials and you know top politicians are talking about when it talks about kind of that equity that you're speaking of why is there a lack of a message why do you think that they've just kind of ignored making sure, you know, LGBTQ folks are just as well as informed are as comfortable in this whole vaccine hesitancy conversation. You know, it's interesting. In some ways, it's kind of the same thing that, you know, I encountered as 
writing about the early efforts in equity because, you know, it wasn't very long ago that the federal government nor states were tracking anything by race. And so you had all of these organizations, particularly like, you know, black-led organizations being like, hey, we know that our people aren't being vaccinated, you know, but there's no data. And so suddenly there was this rush on the federal government side to track that for black people and for Latinos. And of course, what you found was that Black and Latino people who were disproportionately dying and getting ill of COVID were not getting vaccinated at those same rates. And then there was this shift in policy to make that happen. Um, And so I think that basically, from what I can tell, I mean, there's been some discussion um, in the LGBTQ community about this, but it doesn't it has not reached that that level of like that roar that we saw out of the Latino and black organizations early on. And so I frankly just think it just hasn't been enough public pressure to push them to collect that data. And I also just think there's some states that are a little bit squeamish about doing it. I think there's people that don't want to ask people, um, you know, their pronouns or asked, you know, what their, you know, how they identify when they go to get vaccinated. I think that there's that. I don't think they've figured out how to do it, but I do think, the detriment is we, you know, you see the little data and the little research that's out there is showing that the trans community in particular is not getting vaccinated at those rates. And that's in part because it's not just your general, you know, baseline distrust of government, but there's some real issues and specific, you know, reasons why the trans community does it. And those things have not been addressed. And so I think yeah. that's why you're seeing the numbers of that. So has there been a solution, I guess, in your reporting? Did you figure out or, or find something there that feels somewhat positive, like we're moving in the right direction? I mean, I think as a columnist, I think my job is basically to yell at people and to get them to and I love something it. about and, it. And I love it. That's the best <laughs> but, thing you can do. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I do think, you know, one thing in California, I do think there is this receptiveness to it. So I'm hoping that by just raising the issue and hopefully getting other LGBT communities, you know, organizations on board with this and to kind of raising that message that maybe we will get that crescendo that will actually force a public policy change. Um, And so that's, you know, at the very least, I think with most states kind of opening vaccinations up to pretty much everybody now, you know, getting the, the outreach and the education and the message to specific communities, I think, is going to be the far more important thing because we need to identify folks that are hesitant and why they're hesitant and talk to them about it. And so, yeah, um, yeah those are the big things. No, and I think it also shouldn't have to uh, land in the, the the laps of, like, LGBTQ plus organizations to carry all the, mm-hmm. the burden, right? I, I think, uh, you know, our government really should be focused on that. So thank you so much for joining us and, and writing this really, really needed and great article. Seriously. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, that was Erica Smith, columnist with the Los Angeles Times. Coming up on the show, the class action lawsuit filed by LGBTQ plus students against the Department of Education. Uh, more details with the lawyer and a student involved next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A class action lawsuit has been filed by LGBTQ plus students against the Department of Education. Uh, And actually, Paul Southwick, the director of REAP, it's the Religious Exemption Accountability Project. They're the organization that advocates for LGBTQ students at taxpayer-funded religious colleges, universities. They filed the lawsuit in the U.S. District Court in Oregon. Uh, Paul joins us right now. Thanks for being here. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. Uh, So this is pretty huge. Has this ever been done before? This is a landmark case. Uh, It's landmark in the sense that it's being filed against the Department of Education um, and the enforcement around the religious exemption, which we believe is unconstitutional. 
Yeah, and it's it's really interesting because we've covered Liberty University, and I know there's so many other you know Christian religious-based schools who are in this lawsuit as well. Um, but it, it, I think one of the questions that a lot of people have is if you are you know queer or you fall under that umbrella of queerness, why would you choose to go to a religious school? Yeah, not only a lot of people, everyone has that question. <laughs> what the yeah. heck are they doing there? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> we hear it every time, and here's the short answer. Um, evangelical families are not immune from having queer and trans children. And so evangelical families will always be sending their queer and trans children to evangelical educational institutions. They end up there because it's the natural consequence of their upbringing. Definitely. That makes sense. And it's not like they have a choice at that point, right? Um, Yeah. And they're 17 years old. Often they hate themselves. They hate being gay. They hate that they're trans and their church and their parents are telling them that's not who you are. That's not right. And they're, they're still hoping they can change. And then, you know, uh, you start watching, uh, you know, Netflix and seeing gay characters falling in love and you think, Oh, I, I wish I could do that. Why is this coming together now? What went into putting this together? Have you been working on this for a while? Yeah, so I'm a lawyer, and I um, have been representing individual queer students who've been expelled or harmed um, by these institutions. And over the last 10 years, I've noticed that there's actually been an uptick in discrimination. And that's in part because now we have marriage equality, and now we have the Bostock decision from the Supreme Court. There's a lot more civil rights in broader society, and there's a lot more kids in Generation Z who are a sexual or gender minority exploring their sexuality. So that kind of a perfect recipe for disaster at Christian colleges. And we've seen just a ton of harms and abuses. So uh, it was time that something needed to be done on a, on a big level. Yeah. And uh, I know the ultimate goal of this lawsuit is to strike down title nine's religious exemption. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. The practical effect of a, of our lawsuit succeeding will be that if a queer or trans student um, is subjected to conversion therapy or is expelled, they will be allowed to go to the Department of Education, just like any other student at any other taxpayer-funded college. And the Department of Education will process their complaint, see if there's been any discrimination, and then protect them or intervene um, where necessary. Um, So really, right now, queer kids at Christian schools, they're in this no-man's land where there's absolutely no protection for them. And our lawsuit is really just trying to give them some basic level of safety and protection. Definitely. What has been the response and anything from the administration? Sure. The, the response to our lawsuit has been overwhelmingly positive. And that's, that's because the student body at these schools is totally on board with gay rights, with queer rights, with trans rights even the faculty members at these institutions. It's really just a handful of people who are the big donors and the board members who are um, allowing this oppression to continue. So we've seen a lot of really strong support coming. The Department of Education, um, uh, I've had conversation, uh, my first call with them, they're still wrapping their heads around this. They want to be supportive of queer and trans rights. They know there's this religious exemption. And my hope is that they will work cooperatively with us to find a good solution here. Yeah, because this really came from also Trump's administration, really, that didn't allow the protection. So unfortunately, Biden needs to deal with that. Yep, yep. Obama started the protections for queer and trans folks. And then under Trump, they rescinded that. And they also made it way easier to get religious exemptions. So 
the Biden administration needs needs to address it, and and I hope they will. And I just want to say thank you for your work because I, I I'm a kid, a queer kid who came from a religious background as well, so I understand the struggle in that world. And it just seems like they uh, all of these people that you are representing are in great hands. Uh, well, thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, and I I was one of those kids too, so that's where I get my passion for this from. And actually, one of those students is going to be joining us right after that, who's part of this class action lawsuit, Lucas Wilson. So stick around for that right after this. We've been talking about this class action lawsuit filed by LGBTQ plus students against the Department of Education. Before this, we had Paul Southwick on the director of REAP, the Religious Exemption Accountability Project, the organization that's behind this that brought together all these students. Uh, They filed this lawsuit in the U.S. District Court in Oregon. And right now joining us is one of those students, uh, Lucas Wilson, who said he received conversion therapy from a student club called Band of Brothers at Liberty University from 2008 to 2012. He was an undergrad student then. Uh, Lucas, thank you for being here. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And you're not a student anymore, obviously. I'm not. Well, I'm a student at a different school, just not Liberty, thankfully. Lucas, can I ask you, before we jump into this conversation, why did you choose to go to Liberty? Yeah, and and in fact, in large part, why I chose to go to Liberty was because of the conversion therapy program that you guys referenced, though I was actually in the one-on-one group for four years. I only went to the group conversion therapy uh, once. So otherwise, it was the one-on-one meetings I had with this man named Pastor Dane. He was a uh, campus pastor, campus administrator who uh, offered conversion therapy. So I knew about Liberty's conversion therapy program before I even went. And when I was making the decision of where to go to school, I actually had a little, you know, table where I was choosing, or I had the, you know, uh, check mark for for staying, uh, you know, going away for school, check mark for, uh, you know, saving money if I stayed at home. And the only thing I put two check marks for was the conversion therapy program because at the time I sincerely wow. thought that I could change my sexuality and liberty, of course, with the conversion therapy program that they offered, uh, promised that that was a possibility to to change my my sexual orientation. Wow! And you've come such a long way since. What made you want to join forces for this? And how did it all happen? Yeah, so social media uh, it very much helped uh, facilitate our Paul and my connection. Uh, we're both in similar Facebook groups, uh, and there was he put out a sort of a call asking for any students who were uh, who went to a religious university or college uh, and who faced discrimination. And so I reached out and I talked to Paul. And Paul's mission, I think, is just phenomenal. And the reason why I want to be a part of this lawsuit is because of the work that Paul's doing, which is uh, protecting LGBTQ youth from. Uh, discrimination uh, at these different universities. And for me, I think that's uh, work that I want to be doing uh, in addition to the work that I'm already doing uh, in, you know, for uh, other topics. But specifically, uh, Paul's uh, sort of uh, mission is uh, was what brought me in. Do you think this process is helping you um, have get more closure on that entire experience? Like, what is it kind of mentally doing for you uh, uh, knowing that you kind of have this experience with all these other students and y'all are kind of coming together in this way to to kind of take down this whole thing? Yeah, for me, I I wouldn't necessarily say it's offering me closure. I think that for me, grad school has provided me a lot of the time and space to think through uh, what I went through when I was at Liberty, specifically in conversion therapy, though the campus itself is a thoroughly homophobic inst- or a campus. And so, uh, you know, having the time and the space to do that through grad school is what really, um, I think, allowed me to work through it. However, I don't think that's necessarily a complete process. I don't think that all yeah. the work is, is done. And so 
uh, being a part of this, uh, you know, I think that it, it, it certainly would be something that I, I think was is going to offer me um, more insight into my experience because, of course, having interviews like this and also going through the lawsuit is going to, you know, force me to, to think about what I went through uh, all the more. Um, but I think for me, what, what's most important and why I'm a part of this lawsuit is because I do, I want to see that this discrimination, the discrimination that happened to me, that it doesn't happen to future generations, uh, that this work is something that uh, has a lasting impact. And it's not just us telling our stories, but we're telling our stories for a reason. And we're telling our stories so that this doesn't happen to others. Yeah, definitely. Incredible. Uh, Thank you again for being here and for sharing your story. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate you guys putting me on. That oh, was, of course. Yeah, Lucas Wilson, who's part of the class action lawsuit filed by LGBTQ plus students against the Department of Education. Now coming up, the religious exemptions bill Montana Republicans are trying to pass that could legalize LGBTQ discrimination. That's next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up as we wrap up our Friday show, uh, it was the first week of the Derek Chauvin trial for the murder of George Floyd. So we're bringing you the ultimate recap with actually a reporter from our sister station at the trial from Minneapolis. So stick around for that in 15 minutes. Plus, actor Daniel Franzese joins us for an exclusive conversation on the moment he was fired for being gay. And this just this didn't happen like uh, years ago. This literally happened like recently this year. So we're, we're going to be talking to him more about that. Uh, but let's get into some what's trending this hour right now. Fox News' Neil Cavuto had a pretty interesting interview with Dr. Anthony Fauci. You know, we've known a lot of the Republicans to call out Fauci for flip-flopping. They just don't like him. They think he created COVID. And here's the exchange when they started to talk about the masks. That was taken. Come on, let's get serious about this. That was taken totally out of context. What I was saying, so you, if don't, we have roots, you don't think that's right. You don't think it should have mess in 2022. It shouldn't be. It is very, we don't know. And I'm not saying that we okay. will. If we get a major surge and we have a continuation of an increase in cases, it is conceivable that we may be having to wear masks in 2022. But if we continue to get people vaccinated and we get the overwhelming majority of people together with those that have been infected, and the level of infection goes way down, we very likely will not have to. You know, we're playing this game here. You take a word or a sentence somebody says, and you throw a gotcha at them. No, I did not say definitively, we unquestionably will be wearing masks in 2022. So there you go. You know, he's had a lot of patience, but he was just like, come on. Did you feel like you were watching Fox News? Because it was the entire segment. Uh, well, that, that segment, <laughs> actually, the interview was much longer. But I'm just entertained by, by you know, you knew that interview was not going to be fun or go well. I mean, it was entertaining. But he said what he got to say. It's not like we're going to have to wear it till 2022, the mask, unless we do nothing about this. and We don't follow the uh, recommendations from the CDC. And uh, that was a What's Trending This Hour quickie. Let's move on to what's happening in entertainment news. Oh, I like a What's Trending This Hour quickie. That was cute. So Justin Timberlake, it's time for the T-Report. Justin Timberlake may want to get his former manager because you will not believe what he just did. And it's time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. Uh, So Janet Jackson, she posted her weekly Sunday um, inspirational message to followers, encouraging them to always choose to heal, not hurt, and to forgive, not to despise. 
And Johnny Wright, who once managed uh, Janet Jackson, as well as Timberlake's ex, Britney Spears, allegedly shot back and... Actually, I may have gotten that wrong. He's not Justin Timberlake's former manager. He's his current manager, which makes this even worse. He shot back at Janet Jackson saying, you should take this advice and apply it to your relationship with Justin Timberlake. Can you believe he said that? It's wild. Um, so, yeah, Reich's comments comes nearly two months after Timberlake officially apologized to Janet Jackson and, uh, and Britney Spears. I mean, way too late, in my opinion. A source close to the singer, though, um, to Justin Timberlake told us, well, not told me, but told Page Six, that he was completely unaware of a recent comment Wright made to Janet Jackson via social media to forgive Timberlake for his role in their infamous 2004 Super Bowl wardrobe malfunction. I mean, this kind of looks bad on Timberlake's part because he's a representative of you. And the fact that he's like commenting something shady to Janet Jackson, who was just trying to be positive. What are you doing? It's not OK. It's not OK. Well, this guy, right, just seems like he's uh, he he used to manage Jackson, I Timberlake's ex, Britney Spears. Sure. I know you mentioned that, but it seems like. He just is a bit resentful that he's not work doing that work anymore, and he just wanted to fire back and drag her a bit. I mean, he's he kind of still is. He's managing J- Justin's now. He man- manages Justin now. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, Johnny Wright is a pretty big, like, known manager. That's he's managed interesting. A lot of the stars. What an interesting coincidence. But it is wild, and it's in the internet into spirals, honey. And that is your T report. Now, here's the thing: if you loved any of the uh, T reports I have covered today, they are all at wearechannelq.com, and keep the conversation going at LGT show because we love to see it. We love to talk back and we love to talk about it on air. So don't you forget LGT show everywhere. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yeah. Yes Queen. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris is celebrating the 17th anniversary of what he calls his best date ever when he and husband David Burtka went on their first day the two posts from both of them are like the cutest thing ever. Couple goals. They wed in 2014. They share 10 year old twins right now. Uh, they shared a selfie. Well, actually, Harris did um, a, a selfie of them on this boat ride saying, Happy anniversary, David. You are my top priority, my constant inspiration, my baby daddy, and my best friend. Going on a date with you 17 years ago, best decision ever. Thanks for the love, the laughs, and the life. You're the best. But then Bertka also posted something really adorable. He said, you've given me the life I have dreamed of. I'm constantly amazed at your parenting skills. Talking about Neil Patrick Harris, of course. How hard you work to provide for our family. How much we still laugh that that we haven't lost it in the romantic department. (laughs) And most importantly, that we are still madly in love. So congrats to the couple and inspiration. I wonder who they're having threesomes with. (laughs) That's... No, seriously. That's I mean, it's a staple in the queer community. You know, we we are so sexually liberated that we don't mind bringing multiple people into our bedroom. So I wonder Who's the who lucky has person? the story that says they are sleeping <laughs> with Neil Patrick Harris and his husband. That is the top thing because I wish I could say that story. If you know, give us don't that. tell us. No, uh, no. DM us at LGT Show. No, I don't want to know they business like that. I don't want to. You just know. asked. I just, no, I just want to know if they are. Like I would love to know, oh, okay. but I would never personally talk about it over the airwaves. That's just something you talk about at the kitchen table. But I love this. This is so sweet, and I hope one day I could say the same thing. But right now, I'm bitter. 
I believe in you, Ryan. I'll screw you. And that does it for our Yaz Queen <laughs> of the Day in our show today. Yes, Queen. We're back for you weekdays here on Channel Q Live, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. On the next show Monday, we're going to be talking about uh, why Republican leaders are trying to ban vaccine passports. And are you eligible to receive Biden's new student debt relief? That could be good. Mm-hmm. That's on Monday's show. Plus, if you miss any of our shows or our, our interviews, catch up on everything on our podcast. Just go to the Odyssey app and search Let's Go There. It's that easy. <laughs> We're sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. And stick around for what's popping with DJ Alex D right after this. Have a great weekend. Bye, y'all.